Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another Compliant with Alliant podcast, bringing you insights into employee benefits compliance. I'm your host, Christine Blanco, and Diana Craig, an attorney here in our compliance department, is with me as always. Hey, everyone. So today we are going to do something pretty short and sweet, but we think that is important and um, at the forefront of, of the minds of a lot of folks. We're going to talk about sort of what we're looking at post-election, including single payer, what the landscape looks like there, and also individual mandates by state. So why don't we talk about sort of um, where this all started? Yeah, Chris, this was really, um, to me, began with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So if you guys remember, that was the huge tax reform bill that was passed in December of 2017, made huge changes to the tax code. Um, I know I've been feeling them as I have filed my personal income taxes, um, but really as relevant to my job here at Alliant, it zeroed out the individual mandate tax penalty from the ACA. And if we just remember back how that worked, you know, the ACA did a lot of things. It basically um, created rating rules where we don't have individual medical underwriting. It eliminated pre-existing condition exclusions. It created guarantee issue and availability in the individual uh, markets and small group markets. So those were very important changes and how that was all supposed to work or how the market was supposed to be stabilized there was this individual mandate penalty that drove healthy people into the marketplaces, into the exchanges. And the penalty was actually super low when it started, Chris, well, 95? $95. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's it started out low, 95 bucks. Um, for 2016 through 18, it was supposed to be, or it was, because it was still in effect then, it is, yeah, yep. 695, or if greater, 2.5% of your household income. So when that individual mandate under the ACA fell away, our states started to act to stabilize their markets. Yeah, and so like the individual mandate was kind of seen as um, you know one leg of the ACA stool. It was what um, was heavily litigated in the main Supreme Court litigation on the ACA that um, ultimately was you know rendered the the law uh, constitutional. So on that note, in addition to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. After the elimination or the zeroing out of that penalty, there was renewed litigation. And then in the state of Texas, where a district court had determined essentially that with the elimination of that penalty, the entire ACA was unconstitutional. And um, so that injected uh, some more uncertainty into the market. That case is still percolating up through the district court. It, you know, it's hard to see or through the federal court. So we'll see where that goes. But all of that sort of created uncertainty in the marketplace. States that have healthy and viable exchanges or want to um, are interested in, in how to how to shore up those markets. Yeah, and that's something that we've been watching very closely. It always makes me nervous when I've got to keep my eye on what, you know, 50 states are actively doing in an area. Um, but, you know, I just I want to start the conversation on what the states have been doing with just revisiting Massachusetts, because Massachusetts has had an individual mandate in place. God, since 2007, mm -hmm. right, Chris? It's our elder statesman of, you know, individual mandates and man employer mandates. And, you know, if, it, it really was the precursor for the ACA. So it's been doing this for much longer than any other state. Yes. And so um, 
to following Massachusetts leads and sort of filling the gap left by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, New Jersey was the next to act. So uh, they created an individual mandate that will take effect or took effect on January 1, 2019. And it again, it very closely parallels what the ACA's penalties were. Um, and really interesting for employers, there's also a reporting component, but you're just going to take your Form 1095-Cs with your Form 1094-C, and you're going to file that with the New Jersey Department of Treasury. So that one's interesting. Yeah, at least that's streamlined. So yeah, so uh, and next up, Vermont has also acted. There will be an individual mandate that takes effect in Vermont. Uh, in 2020. Wait, you didn't plug our Massachusetts Insights. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I have to plug our insights. We actually have a wonderful standalone Alliant Insight on everything healthcare reform in the state of Massachusetts and a sleeper insight, <laughs> which we do have those, so <laughs> on Vermont because Vermont has also had an employer mandate, gosh, since I think about 2008. So if you are interested in those mandates in those states, we're here to help. We have got the articles for you. But let me talk quickly about the other um, the other states I'm watching and also uh, Washington D.C. Mm, that was an interesting, interesting one because the Washington D.C. or District of Columbia City. City Council acted to pass an individual mandate, but then the House blocked the mandate, but uh, it did not, the bill blocking the mandate did not get passed on or approved by the Senate, so it will go into effect. So very interesting on Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And then just really quickly, um, you know, of course we're watching California. Governor Newsom has indicated that that is an area he is interested in, and just the grab bag, Connecticut, Minnesota, Rhode Island, and Nevada. Right, so we will continue to watch those states and determine sort of how employers might be impacted there um, and, and what the impact on the overall market would be. So that brings us to, I think, the discussion of D.C. and California and dovetail very nicely into um, the idea of single payer. And that's something that has been and will continue to be a debate and as we move towards the 2020 election, certainly will be one of the main issues so with Republican control of the White House and the Senate, we can expect that nothing's going to happen on any kind of single payer measure likely for the next two years. But we're seeing a lot of movement there, specifically a couple bills worthy of mention, um, S-1970, which is Medicare X Choice Act of 2017, Senators Bennett and Tim Kaine really propose allowing a purchase of a Medicare-like plan for those uncompetitive exchanges, those that have one or less plans in, in their particular county. And all of this is kind of runs through the exchanges. So the exchanges continue to be really the chassis for these options. And then another option, which is brand new, they haven't even summarized the bill yet out of congress.gov, and it's sad that we know that, but we do. Medicare at 50 Act, which provides a framework for sort of a Medicare fallback for those um, folks between 50 and 64, it doesn't require enrollment via the exchanges, but it does apply those premium and cost sharing subsidies available through the exchanges. So there's definitely amalgam of things going on and, and there's are sort of kind of half measures or partial measures to get us to full single payer. And I think 
in California, and, and Diana will talk a little bit about single parent in California. But in, in California, I think that's the reality is that we're not going to bite. You know, we're not going to you know what a one bite at a time, right? Something about the elephant and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I think the reality is what we're going to see is attempts to sort of chip away at the problem and increase coverage either through you know Medicare X for uncompetitive exchanges or Medicare fallback at 50 which these are you know really just jazzy names for chipping away at a, at a pretty big problem um, but I think the the elephant in the room like Chris mentioned is the price tag that comes along with even these incremental measures um, let alone Medicare for all so you know the interesting test case uh, you know for, to my mind was California in 2017 actually passed a single-payer bill. It was the Healthy Californians Act, and that, that act created something called the Healthy California Trust Fund. Um, but the bill was passed, but with conditional implementation on the California Secretary of Health and Human Services, certifying there was adequate funding available. Now, the bill itself doesn't talk about what adequate funding is, but uh, we do have other independent projections that say that the Healthy California Act would cost $400 billion to implement. And even if we moved money around, we would still have $200 billion in new spending. Right. Exactly. The price tag is what it is, and that's going to be hard to get around. Interestingly, though, again, I think we'll, we'll see. We'll continue to see it. We'll continue to see chipping away and iterations of it. Uh, there is a caucus in Congress, uh, 76 members, um, bipartisan, a Medicare for All caucus. So they are working on this actively. And notably, um, there have been a couple of polls where 70% of Americans support a single-payer system, including 52% of Republicans. Um, Medicare has a good reputation across the board, and so um, it'll be interesting to see how you know how this plays out, and it will definitely be something that we're watching over the next couple of years, and watching all the Democratic candidates um, sort of parlay out or you know present what their plan will be. And then most importantly, I think for employers, we will specifically be watching those individual mandates in the states to see whether there are any particular employer impacts that you'll need to know about. So um, I think, uh, as promised, that's short and sweet. We'll bring it to a close. It wraps up our episode of Compliant with Alliant, offering you a more approachable view of employee benefits. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.